0: So hey guys, we are back for another podcast and today we have Chuck Loparo from Midwest Snips. Uh, He's going to be talking about Midwest Snips, how he got in the industry, how he got into doing what he's doing as a manufacturer rep. Um, we're going to, of course, be talking tools and Midwest SNPs and and all the things that's going on with that company and that it's an American-made tool, which I love. Of course, I've got sponsors. You know that. Uh, I'd like to thank Choice Refrigerants. They're the makers of R421A, a, to- a true drop-in to R22. No oil changes, nothing like that. Just recover, repair, gas, and go. That simple. Also want to thank Cool Air Products, the makers of the jet gun uh interplay learning the very best in online training uh you, they have stuff for HVAC, electrical solar plumbing oh my god they got it all including an insane oculus program if you guys have ever done it it's so much fun but that's interplay learning at interplaylearning.com we also have supco and their supco trade fox line of tools uh, those are tools invented by tex 4 and you can check them out at supco.com and my newest sponsor, which is NAVAC, um, they got some great stuff out there, including the recovery unit, the NRDD, and they've got the battery-operated vacuum pumps. I mean, they got so much cool stuff. You can check them out at NAVACglobal.com. Uh, today's special, special, special podcast, or not podcast, or so sponsor is Midwest Snips. Um, they uh, are an American-made product. You're going to hear a lot about them today. Um, it's not really an infomercial, uh, I, Chuck and I are personal friends and I just love this guy, but you can check him out at Midwest com. So like I said, today we have Chuck LaParo on the podcast. It's unedited and raw. So whatever Chuck, Chuck says is going to go. Um, welcome Chuck.
1: Hello. Thanks for reaching out.
0: Yeah. So you and I have been friends for a couple of years. I think, uh, we met at AHR expo in Atlanta, Georgia, um and if i correct me if i'm wrong i think i walked up or we were following each other on social media but i walked up and came out to meet you and your boss if i remember right did not want to have his picture taken but we did it anyways and he didn't want to be on video but we did it anyways and then you and i connected and just and we became personal friends is that right or am i wrong Oh, you're spot
1: on. Nothing. Uh, it was very mm-hmm. pleasurable to watch him squirm and be uncomfortable as you convinced him to do everything he said he wasn't going to do. It Was uh,
0: from that point point on, I knew you and I were going to be friends. Yeah, he did not want to be on camera, but we made him on camera. He did not want to do a video, but we did a video, and then we had fun with with Midwest. And then last year at AHR, we did something that that um, I, I have a feeling will be the norm now. Like you and I were the trendsetters, where. We partnered on a t-shirt, uh, the 75th anniversary t-shirt uh, for Midwest Snips, and we put my logo on it and made it a dual shirt, a limited edition, and it was huge. It's like still being asked for today.
1: I, uh, I still get emails for it as well, so I'm, I'm getting close to reprinting more.
0: Oh, I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> how did you get into the business, or what did you do? Where did Well, first off, where did you grow up?
1: So I'm, I'm originally from a small town uh, south of Cleveland, Ohio, a little Norman, we- Norman Rockwell town called Brecksville. And uh, my, my journey to get into the trades is kind of a long and unplanned but welcome to journey by all means.
0: Okay, but you grew up in Ohio, and, and I love Ohio if there's anybody from Ohio I love coming to columbus i don't i 'm not too much of a fan in the winter, but in the spring the summer and the fall Ohio is glorious it's beautiful when and so for everybody in Ohio yes i 'm kissing up to Ohio um, but you said it was a long long road into the trade did you have somebody that was influencing you you know how did you get to becoming a rep you know what were you doing before a manufacturer's rep That's a great
1: question. You know, I didn't have anyone uh, that mentored me or did I have any exposure to it. It was actually quite the opposite. It was really a journey of finding what made me happy. Um, So I I grew up in a very typical suburban uh, house. um, But my dad's very sole vision for his children was to go to college um his uh, my grandparents uh were immigrants that came over from uh Italy and uh my grandpa uh didn't speak English very well wasn't very well educated and my father saw how people treated him and he saw how people treated uh individuals that had education with much higher uh, respect you know doctors lawyers people with degrees so uh, my father's vision was to go to college himself get educated and that was the only thing uh that was acceptable in our household or you could have left the house it was option a or nothing um but you know school wasn't exactly my strong point uh i did well with it but i didn't enjoy it um you know, i reached out to my student counselor and uh she wasn't any help as well uh to my to my lack of knowledge our school district had a phenomenal vocational program a great facility but as far as I knew about it all it did was teach you to be an auto mechanic and that really wasn't a passion of mine besides having a you know a couple exotic cars and my posters on my wall a Testarossa or Countach, I wasn't really a car guy That wasn't my thing so um, but I found myself taking every woodworking shop electrical class um, any hands-on elective I could throughout high school, but college just didn't feel right for me. So to my, to make my dad happy and, and to make him proud, I did go to school and college, and uh, fortunately I did very well, and I, I did end up enjoying it, but I found myself, as soon as I graduated, going, I want a job where things are being built, where I get to see things made that are, that, that are hands-on, and that to me, Mike, that's what started my journey was trying to figure out how to get into a place where, you know, I wanted to see stuff being fixed, made, built, created. That was always my drive. I just never had anyone to, to, to mentor me along. And I think one of the messages I want to get across in this podcast is if you've got someone who's young around you that looks up to you, you know, listen to them. Be a mentor. I think. The whole mentoring practice—I don't know if it's on the decline or not—but it's something in today's day and age we need to embrace more and more. Because um, you know, I had people that loved me and looked after me, but I didn't have anyone really listened and tried to help me find what my true passion was. So uh, that's my my one big takeaway. I'd like to shut out uh, during this podcast: be well, a mentor if you, if you have the opportunity.
0: It, it's so weird my i'm going to go back to your your grandparents in italy on on how the parallel so my great great grandparents were from italy and they ended up in ashtabula ohio and they this and i've never met them but according to my my grandma and they brought their kids here which was my grandmother and they were not allowed to speak italian in the house they were not allowed to do to to do that at all like my, my i was told that my great grandparents would speak italian between themselves but then the kids were not allowed to speak it they could only speak english because just like you said they were laughed at because they didn't understand american they didn't understand english and they they were lost and it's crazy the parallel because it was they were lost they were made fun of and then my grandmother you know the same thing with my mom you know my mom didn't get a degree till much later in her life but school was everything but uh, it's crazy when you were saying that I was like holy crap like you and I have got a parallel family in Ohio yeah. speaking Italian and then uh is now is Loparo is that an Italian last name it is it, is it how does it actually said is it Loparo like Loparo or is it yes. something is it oh yeah, Loparo. Loparo. so you like are you made like are you a good fella or anything like that <laughs> no it's uh um,
1: it, it's funny my family people always look at it as kind of strange so my mom is pure english and my dad's pure italian mm-hmm. so my dad and my sister look like they could be right out of the goodfellas which used to drive my dad nuts mm-hmm. and my
0: mom and i look i mean anything look english. english we're white <laughs> yeah, oh, okay so i don't know i don't want to make sure like if you were going to pull one day on me, like, uh, uh, what's that, L- Ray Liotta, where he's like, you, you think I'm funny? You think I'm funny? You know, um, <laughs> so. Because, all right, uh, we, we,
1: do, we all have a little of that temper buried and it. It takes a while to to get it out, but I, I still have it there
0: somewhere. Loparo. Right, L- okay, well, that's good. <laughs> it's good to know that uh, we kind of got because Mayberry is not Italian. That is Okie. That is Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, so. But my, yeah, it's crazy. My mother has a, my mother has a very, her maiden name was very Italian. G. Gennetto. But it's um, crazy how I didn't even know any of that. So you got into, you got it, but did you, let's talk about your career because you did go to school, but did you go right into HVAC part sales and equipment sales or tool sales? Or did you go into a different sales line?
1: No, so I ended up uh, starting with a company which I bet everyone here uh, listens to the podcast will know is Fastenal. Oh, wow. You know, nuts, bolts, fasteners, you know, they had power tools basically, you know, comparative to a Granger, McMaster car. Um, A much different company back when I I was with them. Um, But you it was It was the beginning of my calling on what made me happy, which was I got to be around all these businesses, all these tradesmen. I got to see stuff being built, you know, created. Um, some interesting memories. Uh, uh, contractor was work- working on the, uh, on the new baseball stadium in downtown Cleveland, and it was the day before um, the big opening, and they realized they forgot some stuff, and I ran it down and I got permission to run on the field to hand them uh, the supplies they needed, and I kind of wanted over and got to stand on the pitcher's mound the day before the ballpark was commissioned and opened. So, um, What what I, park was that?
0: Uh, back then it was called Jacob's Field. I think it's uh, Progressive Park. or
1: mm. um, I, I've, I've stopped keeping up on what all the ballpark name changes are these
0: days. Gotcha. So when you were working for them, and it sounded like it was a great job. Was there anything in between them or did you go right to Midwest Snips?
1: No, it's, uh, like I said, it's been an interesting journey. Um, so from there, I had another, uh, I guess, life-altering moment. I was reading an article. So this was before, I mean, I think, I think maybe I had a pager at this point in my career. I didn't have a cell phone yet. I was reading an article and they said that, uh, and I forget the exact number, but a very high percentage of people die within 50 miles of where they were raised. And for somehow that just, that just struck me as if I really want to see how things are made, um, my the whole hands on, I love being in that environment. I got to go to other parts of the country, if not the world and experience it. So I didn't know what to do, but out of pure coincidence, a college friend called me up and said, Chuck, you always talked about, you know, doing fun and crazy stuff and living on the edge. He goes, I'm living in Chicago right now and I need a roommate because my roommate just backed out of me. And for some reason, your name popped in the head, into my head. How about you just quit your job and move to Chicago and be my roommate and we'll figure it out? And I said, I'll call you back. And I hung up. And I bet you I called him back less than five minutes later and said, I'll do it. Hmm. So I quit my job at Fastenal, packed up my stuff in my little S10 Blazer and moved out to Chicago without a job. And the first thing I did was find out where all the big industrial parks were and went around and started handing out my resume. And I ended up uh, with a fantastic family that owned a plastics company that made plastic components that went into a rock, just a whole array of really unique applications so um
0: so from from that so injection you probably got like injection mold or something like that
1: it was injection molding and uh profile extrusion so it was both which was interesting to see
0: and then how long were you there
1: i was there for nine years oh wow yeah are they still in business they are still in business Uh, um i'm happy to say i'm still friends with uh the vice president of, of sales that, um, that I worked with. And, um, yeah, just really overall, a really good family uh, company that's you know, doing what every small manufacturing company U.S. is, is they're trying to reinvent themselves, stay relevant, and, and, you know, keep a good presence here in the United States.
0: So somewhere Midwest SNP shows up. How did that come about?
1: Well, the funny thing is then, um, as I get older and I ended up getting married and started a family, uh, my wife's family had all migrated out to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So, you know, my wife mentioned one day, said, it'd be nice to be a little closer to my family. Would you ever consider moving to Arizona? And again, I said, let me get back to you. I think I went outside and mowed the lawn and came back in and said, let's do it. Why not? You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to get complacent and be in one area. I want to live in different parts of the world. I want to talk to different types of people. I want to get immersed. You know, I don't want to be the, I don't want to be like a lot of my classmates that are, are, you know, some of them have lived more than 10 miles when they grew up. So again, I quit my job. Uh, bought a house, moved mm-hmm. the wife uh, and my son at the time out there, and worked real diligently to find a job. And I ended up with a company that made um, automation components. And they actually, one of the customers we sold to was Fastenal again. So I've kind of come full circle back to Fastenal mm-hmm. and uh, got to work with the uh, Fastenal uh, team again really just love that environment. I love that type of customer culture because they, again, they get to meet and really work with the trades folks, hands on. And that always kind of stuck in my mind. And, uh, so I, w- I worked for this automation company. They ended up getting acquired by uh, Parker Hannafin, which I know a lot of you folks know them cause uh, the Sporlin division, Parker Sporlin. Uh, so they bought the company I work for. And, uh, so I did, uh, I was fortunate enough to stay around and help with the acquisition of that um, and the whole transition because it happened right during the big recession. That was 2008 uh, when they made the acquisition. Of course, the economy just really collapsed from there um, on. So, um, but as I got more uh, involved with overall partner business, they had a good relationship with all as well. And uh, again, I just I loved that environment to be able to work with the trades folks
0: so but, but let me ask you how long did yeah. you live in arizona because we've talked about your stint in arizona how long were you here for
1: i moved there i think it was around seven years
0: oh wow yeah. But you were in tucson too correct
1: nope never lived in tucson oh. i'd love to go down to tucson though okay i liked getting out uh more out into the back countries out there. I had a little pop-up camper that I would drag around and just find places to park it and set it up. And I think the kids and I liked it more than the wife did. Uh, Her joke was she liked the JW Marriott
0: a lot more than she liked our Jayco pop-up camper. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can see see that. I can see both sides because I like the pop-up camper, but I also, JW Marriott's pretty nice. I'll give you that. (laughs) Yeah. So, no, it
1: was... uh, you, know, you got into tools though,
0: right? When Not, you were, nothing when tool, yeah, nothing, nothing tool related. And
1: it, it, it kept nagging at me. Okay. And then uh, Parker was treating me really well, fantastic company, uh, zero complaints. But no I wasn't I wasn't selling, I wasn't getting out there, I was you know managing product ranges. And uh, so I just decided to start searching, and then lo and behold, I saw this job posting uh for Midwest Tool, who I knew nothing about. So I started researching and I'm like, they make tools in the United States, and they're looking for someone to run their sales and marketing campaign. I'm like, I'm going to get this job. This is perfect. This puts me in my happy place. I'm, I'm so jazzed. And uh, I went after it. And uh, I was actually surprised how small they were as a company, Midwest. Uh, we were, we're a very small, very niche-type uh, uh, family business. And that actually kind of surprised me quite a bit, but I decided that this was, was the thing I'd been kind of searching for, and I had to give it a chance. So I, I left the comforts of you know a very stable, very innovative company, uh, Parker, and decided to go work uh, for the family business that uh, is Midwest Tool.
0: But you said Midwest is a family-owned. So, do you know the history of Midwest Snips? Like I how,
1: do. In fact, do? Uh, it, the, the fanfare got muted this year with with everything going on in 2020. But we're actually celebrating our 75th year in business.
0: So how did they start? Like, how did Midwest Snips become Midwest? Did it start off as like Bob's Snips, or was it always Midwest, or was it a family name? Like, how did that happen? What's the What's the history?
1: Oh, good question. Uh, back in, in 1945, World, the, the World War Two was ending, and, um, and steel was getting more available, and, and the hand tool business was starting to evolve, and there was a couple of guys that decided to get together and uh, start a small tool company. And in 1946, they landed their first account which there's uh, some controversy whether how they got it, you know, bought dinners and some gifts or whatever. That's a little unclear, but somehow they wiggled their way in and got the OEM tool contract uh, for Sears Craftsman. So uh, for since the '40s until Sears just went bankrupt, Midwest Tool was a maker of snips for for the Craftsman brand for all those years.
0: But how did uh, the but how did the company evolve? I get that part of it. Was, was it two guys in a shop that were like the snips on the market today suck and we can make one better? Like how did, that's my question. Like how did two guys or a guy or a man or a woman or a partnership, whatever it was, say to themselves in 1945, we can make something better. Did, you know, it, did they have snips before that sucked and they were like, man, these, these suck. We can do it better. Like, how did that happen?
1: No, good question. And uh, I wish the story was kind of that cool. Um, but I, I think it's it's something you do see around the world quite a bit is there was another company in the area making similar type products. And I think the the guys just said, hey, we could do this, too. And so they were able to capture, I think, some uh, guys from the other company, and kind of build it up from there. And it wasn't just snips; it was a, it was a range of cutting tools. Uh, home gardening was getting really popular, so uh, you know, garden shears, uh, little trimmers for for branches. It was the it was a lot of lawn and garden type cutting products. Actually, that got them started. No, uh, the, the tent snips was really not that big in comparison to the long and garden business.
0: Well that makes sense because your your websites basically everything is tool and cutlery. So if you're doing cutlery, are you also do you make kitchens to stuff and things like that or cooking supplies?
1: No, and, and uh, I finally had all the. Uh, I had the company name removed from from the company vehicle because people would come up to ask us to see if we made knives, if we had samples. Oh. Everyone, everyone, loves a free sample of a knife. Uh, but no, it was it was it was all. Uh, we made some scissors, but they were very specialty type scissors. Um, but no, it was mainly uh, pruning shears, hedgers. Uh, and then a few brands of SNPs that were all mostly under the Craftsman brand. Uh, and getting into the 50s and 60s, uh, they started selling to other larger tool companies. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people don't look at Midwest Tool as a name that is as common as maybe a channel lock or a Klein. I mean, those are 100 plus year brand names. We made all these tools under everyone else's name. So as far as you and I, if we lived back in the day, we never would have known that Midwest Tool even existed as a company.
0: Well, that's, that's why I was talking about the, the history, because you're making tools for other companies. For craftsmen, you probably weren't putting Midwest on it craftsmen. It had a craftsman tag on it. So we didn't know.
1: Exactly. And, I mean, you can you can name every major tool company in the U.S., and at some point in, in history, we made some tools for them. And the, the big evolution, the big change and shift with Midwest was in, in the 90s. I mean, um, as the DIY stores became popular in the 80s, uh, globalization was really occurring during that time. A lot of these major tool companies um, – We're taking our products and sourcing them overseas. We were watching our business uh, being taken over to China and Taiwan uh, just to appease uh, a price point um, for their customers. When we were sitting there trying our best to make the best quality tool for these customers and they dropped us like a bad habit so they could pick up an extra 20 points and the product coming over just wasn't wasn't nearly to the standards that we held ourselves to. So in early '90s, actually '93, we came out finally with a product with our name on it. Mm-hmm. So I, I look at ourselves in the grand scheme of tool brands, you know, again, Klein, Channellock, great tool companies, hundred plus years out there. Um, our name hasn't been out there that long. We're we're kind of still in our infancy stage.
0: Well, are the are the owners that started Midway are they still alive, or are they has it passed on to family?
1: It's been passed through. Uh, uh, so there's a couple couple owners, but there's one main family that's the majority owner, and we're on the, the third generation right now. So, so is, that was that was David who you met. He's third generation.
0: Oh, really? So I made the owner of the company do something that he didn't want to do.
1: Yeah, that's why I knew I was going to like him.
0: Oh, see, I thought he was just a regular sales guy like you. Oh, my no, God. Well, well, now that I know that. I appreciate
1: that. But yeah, that's now okay. that
0: I know that. Listen, now that I know that that when we go to Vegas to HR, we it's going to be worse. It's going to be worse. <laughs> so you have a third-generation company that has its – is there private equity companies? Is there people involved no. in it? It's no. all family-owned.
1: Family-owned. Uh, and that was one of the things that attracted, uh, to me because, um, you know, I think as I get older, I, I, I've been reflecting back on, you know, what, do, what do I want my legacy to be? You know, what worth do I want to provide outside that, of,
0: but this? you're not that old.
1: I know, but it's just, uh, I'm, I'm starting to think about what do I need to start be doing now to, to make sure that at least leave a, a positive impact on this world. I, I've some, maybe I'm maybe my mind is pinning me older than I am, but um, I really felt that my efforts working at Midwest would really have a difference on the folks that work there. And I felt like that the industries that Midwest served were industries that I could tell on social media. They had a lot of passion, tight-knit groups. They cared about the industry. They had pride in it. And to me, that... Those were all things that just got me excited.
0: And they get me excited too. And I get the legacy part. I think about it all the time. And then I remind myself there's like 10,000 pictures of me on the internet. I'm like, well, I'm okay. Um, yeah. <clears throat> when Midwest had their relationship with Sears and Roebuck and they were making the tools, obviously the money was coming in. It was, it was flowing well the family was probably happy. When, when did the, the product line expand because you don't make just snips, you make seamers, you know, you make other stuff. Like, what do you guys make? That's probably a better question. What do you make for the HVAC industry?
1: Oh, good question. So, yeah, when we first launched our name in the nineties, it was just a range of aviation snips. Um, and it, it was quickly recognized that, you know, there's other people that were doing that as well, and but they were doing a better job, uh, exp- you know, offering the fuller range of tools that uh, the tradesmen need to get their job done efficiently. So through the years we've been expanding, a lot of it was just stuff that had already been out there that just uh, n- needed to be uh, added to our offering, you know, seamers, uh, notchers, things that, that, you know, not overly innovative but necessary to get these wholesalers to pay attention to us. Um, Our fan base was growing fantastic. The end users were loving our SNPs. They were working better than what they've used in the past. Um, But the problem we had is, you know, you guys buy your tools from wholesalers. You go to your local HVAC wholesaler that's near you, and I'm at the mercy of, can I get my tools in their store so you can have access to it and that that was kind of our challenge uh, through the year, so we felt we needed to get more innovative so one of the coolest things I think we came up with, which you know not all competitors have, was the, the ninety degree uh, aviation snip, you know the upright
0: mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we were the first ones that brought that to the market and it was a
1: huge hit uh, there's a lot of ones out there, but That, to me, is an interesting tool that gets pigeonholed uh, for just very uh, niche applications. But if you start using that tool more and more, it is a little more comfortable and has a lot more flexibility uh, than I realize. I'm trying to teach myself a little sheet metal skills um, because it's funny. I go to the shows, and these guys are grabbing sheet metal for me and grabbing my snips, and they're doing stuff to it. And I'm like, yeah. You know more about how to use my tool than than, than me, and I work for the company. So, um, it's been a cool evolution of figuring out how to get more innovative products uh, out into the guy's hands. You know, ultimately it is get the job done faster, get home to your family quick. I think that's well that, That's kind of our, that's kind of our mantra right now is to think about how we can keep introducing products.
0: Um, well, they got to tre- they got value. For that. They have Chuck for that. Was there a, was there a tool that Midwest made that in their minds was every tech would want to have this only to find out nobody wanted it?
1: Um, yeah, we've had a couple uh, throughout our, our history. Um, I've got one tool. It's not so much HVAC centric. It's more for the, 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 metal roofing and pole barn guys. It's a, it's a lightweight. It's our, we call it our mag snip. Um, and other people have it, but we made them so they were offset kind of like our very popular offset aviation snips. And, uh, that one hasn't caught on, but I, you know, I did, uh, I did some gutter work in my house two years ago. I absolutely loved it. I didn't Nick, my uh, knuckles once to, working on a, on my gutters and downspouts um, that I probably would have if I used just the regulator regulated, uh, uh straight lightweight snips.
0: Well, that's, that's kind of why, yeah. And the only reason I asked that was, is that Midwest, you know, makes like all product manufacturers and you're the first manufacturer I've ever had on a podcast. Um, I've had solder weld, but he doesn't manufacture. He's got a plant and he's, 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 he sells his product. But you know, Lance is not at home pouring the rod into a single tube. Um, yeah. But you know, I think big companies like yours, Midwest, and even though Midwest isn't a big company, it's you know doesn't employ you know multiple states and countries across the world. You know, it's a it's a handcrafted tool, and and they make a mistake every once in a while, or they make a tool that looks fantastic on paper, and then when they get it to the hands of the person, it, mm, not so great. Yeah,
1: we've had, uh, I can tell you my favorite place to get new ideas is from tradesmen's. I bet you 90% of the products that we're looking at right now are all uh, tradesmen-created tools. And uh, there's a couple we think we think are really interesting. We get it out and do our field testing, and uh, feedback isn't what we thought it would be. And so we've, we've passed on a couple Cool. Um, that, that, that's the that's the trick. I mean, uh, the neat thing it also is, especially in HVAC too. There's there's people do things a little differently depending geographically where you're located. I mean, uh, let's just talk about flex duct. I mean, flex duct is starting to grow across the country, but a couple of years ago, you never saw flex duct. Uh, you know, really east of the Mississippi, maybe down in you know, Florida and Georgia a little bit. But my house in Arizona was all flex stock. Um, you know, there's the, there's a, there's really cool tool ideas that we get that only fit a very small region.
0: Um, and I get that, that. You know, yeah, that's, just... that. to me
1: that was that to me that's interesting.
0: Right. Because this is where I think social media has done
1: um, wonders uh, for the tradesmen is you guys are able to get together, share ideas. Um, people look at that and go, I, I never do that where I'm located. That's just a practice. You know, We just don't have that in California that you guys have in New England or whatever the case may be. Um, so the, doing these podcasts, the social media, um, surfing around. I want to say that HVAC guys – Are probably one of the best tight knit groups on social media as far as sharing best practices.
0: Well, I think there's a purpose for that, and you know, it's it's the service industry is different than the construction industry. The construction industry builds a beautiful product; it's built, it's done, and then they walk away. They unless there's a warranty problem, they rarely return back. But service companies usually they're the air conditioning company did the install and then they're stuck with the service you know if they did a crappy job they're stuck with their own service or they pick up a building and it's just that service industry just keeps going and going and it's just it's just constantly in motion one of the things that that um we've talked about is competition now we understand we know that there's other competition out there do you, as a manufacturer, do you talk to your competition at all? Like, Do you call the, the guys over at um, with SNPs and go, Hey, what's up? How's it going? We got some new SNIP. Is this metal working out? Or do you guys share anything at all? Uh,
1: there's a little sharing going on. There's actually an old organization out there called the Hand Tool Institute and they get together a couple times a year, and Midwest is a member, uh, and there are companies that, that are members that are competitors. And we do, uh, we get together and talk about best practices to better our businesses. Um, you know, we keep it, obviously, uh, it's a very professional. you got to be very careful with antitrust and things like that, but we do. Um, you know, my biggest, to me, my biggest competitor that I have respect for is Melco. Um, you know, I know... I know the president of Melco. I know all the sales managers. Um, you know, they're good, honest, hard-working people, just like our folks are at Midwest. They make a good, high quality product. Um, and I respect them for that. You know, uh, do I think my snips are better? Yeah. I mean, I could say I get paid to say that, but I, you know, I believe it. But you know what? They do, uh, you know, they're trying to make stuff in the U.S. Um, they're in a small town outside of Minneapolis. We're in a small little town near nothing. Um, we're out in Amish country, but, uh, yeah. So I do talk with our competitors and I also talk to a lot of other tool companies, uh, that make products unrelated. So, you know, i i think I'm good friends with the folks at uh, Johnson level and Estwing wing hammer and, um, uh, you know, Zephyr, uh, nut drivers, um, uh, you know, Mayhew, uh, you know, I, I talked to a lot of the tool guys, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's, uh, it's nice to see that we are talking and working together because it is challenging to keep a business, um, competitive here in the U S. Hmm.
0: So, Interesting. I mean,
1: uh,
0: well, I was always curious about that. I was always curious if, you know, if you walk by, um, the guys at the other parts houses and go, you, or they'll or the show there's that Chuck guy, uh, you know. I wasn't sure.
1: No, no, I I don't have I don't have any adverse uh, situations with competitors that I that I know. Maybe they hate me and uh, they just smile and cuss up behind my back. And uh, if that's the case, then I'm doing my job.
0: When years ago, years ago. I went to see how freezers were built in Asheville North Carolina. The the factory was called Revco and and they were they were all over they made everything Sears, JCPenney's, then Montgomery Ward's freezers and stuff and they just put different tags on them. But when I went through the factory I was surprised at how everything is hands-on built, hand-built. And a guy said to me, or actually I said to a guy that worked there, I says, well, you know, you can get a, a machine to bend that copper tubing and get it done twice as fast and save all the money. He says, yeah, but I would put Americans out of work. So we'll continue to do it by hand. I I watched one of your videos and posted the video on my social media of snips being built by hand. It almost seems like Midwest snips and I don't know. And, and anybody listening, I'm not paid to say this stuff. Um, Chuck doesn't pay me a penny. In fact, I'm paying Chuck to do this podcast. Um, No, that's not true. But, I almost look at Midwest Snips from the video I saw as doing the same thing. Is everything at your factory built by hand other than like the machine forging the steel and, you know, and putting in, and, and, you know, the molds and all that stuff. Are, are you a hand built company?
1: Yeah, very much so. In fact, uh, I mean, there are pieces of automated machinery and there are different processes in which we can make, the tool that would make it um, basically would improve our profits. It would would increase, it would decrease the cost of the product, but it would remove the hand touching that we feel that adds that 100% guarantee that this snip is in alignment. You know, there's, there's the, you know, the big debate, whether, you know, do you want your snip to have forged blade or cast blades, you know, this and that. Well, I could tell you, cast blades are prettier. They're they are more exact. They're more precise. Um, but you don't hear people saying, "Let's cast our our friendship forever." Let's this, this cast this experience. No, you hear about forging. You know our relationship, forging this commitment. You know, and we use forgings, and forgings are kind of a pain in the butt. And there's a lot more hands-on adjusting on those. And we could automate a lot more of it. But then we lose that one-on-one touching of the tool, making sure that it cuts just right and it lasts long. We could do that tomorrow. And we made a conscious decision that we feel our SNPs are the best in the market and we're not going to mess that up just to increase our bottom line. That's our, you know, to me, I, I want my I want my conscience and my reputation of being a good person, and doing the right thing, to supersede. That I could have made a few more bucks at the end of the year.
0: Yeah, I got that. I mean, I, you know, I I just thought it was cool to see snips being assembled, and then I, there was another video out of the handles being laid down, and then the snips pressed into the handles and stuff like that. It it was uh, it thought about made me think about North Carolina to where. Um, You know, it puts people out of work. And so, you know, you could have machines that could do all that. And you could probably cut your labor and force by half. But at what cost to the community? Yeah. You know, at what cost to, and you're still making money. You're still selling your SNPs probably at the same price. You're still driving the the net margins that you want to see. And, um, you know, and, and you're still making a quality product. Yeah.
1: I think, I think a lot of people need to realize, you know, I think about these, uh, you know, the owners that do you know, think about the owners that have all these vans driving around and all their employees. And I think everyone needs to stop to think about what your actions are is how it impacts, you know, down the line that it's so easy not to think of, you know, if I do a poor job, you know, people lose their jobs and I don't want that. I love the fact that they make a quality product. You know, and I walk the shop. I'm in the office. I walk the shop several times a day. And I tell them, I just thank them every day. I said, you know what? Very, very rarely do I get a call about a quality complaint. I go, it's your guys' efforts. You make my job easier. We work together. We succeed. We make this country Actually, make this planet a better place by providing good stuff. And it sounds like a marketing campaign. I
0: Total marketing a liar. Oh but I, know, a Mike, I think you pitch. know me well enough. Um, I, I
1: don't bullshit like
0: that. I get you. When and, uh, um,
1: took a lot of pride at Midwest.
0: I get you, and I and I love the product. I I use them. I've got them. I was going through my uh, my junk drawer and found my rights and my center cuts, um, and I was surprised they were Midwest because for years. When I first got in the trade, it was Wiss, and I was using theirs, and that was my what my supply household was Wiss. I don't even know if they're on the market anymore, um, but they were a real they were a real long cut. Um, and God, they made a good product. But you know, somewhere along the line, it it didn't hold up. the 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 blade or whatever it's called would cut would break at the end, and then I was stuck with an uh, you know an unpure snip. Yeah, you know, May- I know we're run, running mm-hmm. late, uh, Mike. If you don't mind, I want to kind of shift the topic over. Um, well, no, kinda, I, I was going to ask you about blue collar next.
1: That's exactly what I wanted to go to. Um, I think one of the things uh, for the audience to know that really grabbed my attention with you was, you know, you were wearing the shirt that said, make blue collar great again. Right. And, uh, I, you know, made me think back about what my legacy and what I want to do and how I want to give back. Uh, and I, I think another takeaway I want to give to the folks that are listening to this is, uh, you know, I, I want to build on onto that message that you have, Mike. And I think there's a lot more that can be done to it. Well, and It needs to be more than just a couple people doing it.
0: No, we we got something in the work that I'll talk to you about at the end off off but, off the phone. Um, no,
1: that's good. But I want to reach out to all the audience and say, you know, if if there's a if there's a training, uh, you know, there's a trade school near you. Uh, there's, you know, if your local high school has a vocational program and there's HVAC in that, uh, I encourage you to call them and see what you can do to contribute. You know, um, yeah, but we, I want to ask to make- you,
0: I want to ask you something different, though. Yeah. You think about this a lot. We only got about five minutes left, so if we have to do a part two, we'll do a part two. Do you think as a trade? And I've asked this before we do enough to promote ourselves at, to high schoolers or to college students or whatever. And if the answer is yes, then we'll continue to do. But if the answer is no, what do you think that we're doing wrong? What do you think we're not doing enough of? What are your thoughts? I think the one thing that's
1: being missed as, as you know, I've been diving into this and trying to come up with the aha moment to, to fix this is reaching that young individual who does not know what they want to do with their life they're a junior or senior in high school they they're really good with their hands um, they really don't see themselves sitting behind a desk college just i don't know, like like for me college some just like chalk, you know, nails going down the chalkboard just sound like a horrible thing to to do. Where do you go to find options? Uh, I I don't know. I could tell you when I went to high school, my student counselor didn't provide any value. And maybe that practice has really evolved over the years. I don't know. I've been out of school for quite a while. Um, But even if you go now, if you just type in, you know, I don't want to go to college, what should I do? There's no real good resources. There's no real avenue for them to 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 reach out and chat with someone. Um, real quick, I, I think a country that did it really well years ago. I look, we sell a ton of our products in Australia. Well, Australia, you know, they went through this a huge trade shortage uh, starting way earlier than we did because they had a huge uh, growth expansion. You know, with mining and everything. You know, China was coming in needing all their Natural resources, and they they needed tradespeople. So the government really focused on it for years, and they started re-educating their entire country that you know a tradesman, you know a roofer, an uh, electrician, they're just as valuable as a doctor. And they started working and educating you know, and educating folks. And now these people are you know they're looked upon with reverence and get paid very well for what they need to do. And we need to take a little bit of that success from Australia. And they did a lot of marketing and online campaigns. We need to take some of that and bring it to the U.S.
0: Yeah, I understand. And I I think that, you know, we always talk about money, 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 money. You talk about it every single time because it seems like that's the only way businesses or or organizations can entice somebody is by throwing out their hourly rate or how much they're going to make a year. And, and yeah, that's important, but job happiness is important and satisfaction is important. Um, having a cause is important. Yeah, You know, making great money is important, and you get to do all that stuff in blue collar, and, and you get to do it whether you're a plumber, an electrician, or a glazer, or a paver. You know, or you know, whatever it is that you're working with your hands, the the opportunities are there. Knowing what you want to do with that part and the government getting behind it, which I don't think in America is gonna happen because we're just in such a turmoil. Does does private sector do enough? Because I think private sector, as much as we talked about Midwest SNPs there's a lot of companies out there that only talk about their product line, but don't reinvest back into the employee or the potential employee that's going to eventually buy their product.
1: Yeah. And some companies do a good job. We try, I could say Midwest tries. I don't, I don't think we do a good enough job. Uh, I'm working on that, but you know, they donate tools to the trade schools. You know, they do it. You know, a lot of companies do a tradesman of the year highlight, um, but I think it goes back to we're still not reaching those kids, like you said, don't want to sit behind a desk, want to do different experience, want to have a lot of pride in what they do, and sitting behind a computer just seems like torture to them. Those are the people we need to reach out to. And I, 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 I think it comes down to the wholesalers need to do it. I think the technicians, if you see students in your neighborhood and the owners, uh, you know, of uh, the businesses need to reach out to the local high schools. You know, we all need to do it locally. We got to reach these kids and we got to do more stuff on, online because I mean, the, I mean, I'm online quite a bit. I can't imagine, you know, the younger generation's online a lot more than I am.
0: So we've got just a few minutes left. Is there something that you live by? Is there something that motivates you? Not money, but is there maybe something that your father said or? You know, for me, we everybody knows this, which is, um, you know, do the right thing and risk the consequences. Um, was there something that you live by? I,
1: there's funny, I, uh, at work, people kind of laugh at me because I have a whole bunch of little sayings, and it's kind of gotten pointed as I have a bunch of Chuckisms. Uh, some are original, some are not. But they the, probably the most original Chuckism that's out there that I've lived by the longest is happy, easy, and profitable. And profit doesn't always necessarily money. It could be evaluated in differently, but everyone's like, well, if, if you're, uh, you know, if it's easy and it's profitable, you're happy. I'm like, yeah, not necessarily. Um, you need all three. So to me, I'm always, I'm always on the quest of happy, easy, and profitable. That's, that's what I live by. Okay.
0: That's a good one. So I want to thank Chuck. Um, Chuck and I are going to talk again off off podcast. I think we got more to discuss and we'll probably do a short part two. So look for that. Of course, I want to thank my amazing sponsors, Choice Refrigerants, uh, Cool Air Products, Interplay Learning, Supco, Supco Trade Fox, Series of Tools, and NAVAC, as well as Midwest Snips, the right tools since 1945 and you can find them at midwestsnips.com. Um you know if you're listening to this on a podcast please 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 subscribe and just leave a comment and a rating or you know rating and a review that really helps uh, distribute the podcast cuz I don't get paid for these which is fine cuz I just like learning about people's stories and learning about Chuck's family was was worth today to do the podcast it was amazing that we follow almost the same uh, life as far as um, you know our ancestors and how we got here to America, but you know also make sure that you reach out to the people that around you that are needing some support. It could be a neighbor, it could be a friend, it could be a family member that's just needing a hug. Reach out to them, hug them, love them, um, tell them that they're okay and that they're they're gonna do okay and that you got their back. Uh, again, if you need to get a hold of me, my email is hvacreeferguy at gmail.com. And if you need to get a hold of Chuck uh, leparo leparo if you need to get a hold of Chuck LeParo, then uh, you can do so by uh, getting a hold of him through midwestsnips.com. And there's probably a phone number and an email. Do you want to give your email out?
1: Yeah, if anyone wants to reach out, it's uh, C-L-O-P-A-R-O. So Laparo at midwestsnips.com.
0: Okay. So until next time, work safe, be safe, be great humans. Uh, reach out to the ones you love, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.